So we'll be headed to the States, uh, God willing, a week from Tuesday. And uh, God is gracious. He always gives us a free car. We never know who it's coming from. But we have friends and supporters in the States, and He's already given us a free car. He's given us a cabin on the lake, too. And um, so uh, that's pretty cool. But one thing I love to do in the States is drive around and listen to Christian music. I'm sure I could do it here. I'm just not smart enough. Maybe Adu could come and set me up. But um, it's just one of the things I like to do in the States. I listen to a station called K-Love. I don't know if any of you have heard of this station. I guess it's international. I don't know. Um, but I listen to the station and I, I love to just drive around and, and, and do that. Um, oftentimes they have people calling in to the station to uh, say how positive and encouraging the station has been. Now, this is the byline for the radio station. They're positive and encouraging. Okay? You got that? They're positive and encouraging. Um, So these people are always calling in, giving all of these positive and encouraging uh, messages about what God's doing in their life. And I'm not against positive and encouraging. I'm not against that. I'm for that. But it's all you ever hear on this station. I don't know what their theology is, but all you ever hear is positive and encouraging. And, um, you know, people will call in and say things like, well, the cancer's been cured. Praise God, right? The cancer's been cured. We've cried out to the Lord, and He has cured the cancer. But it's also true if we read our Bibles and we just look around a little bit in the church, sometimes God doesn't cure the cancer. Amen? Sometimes He doesn't do it. I want to hear that person call in. I really do. I want to hear that person call in and say, God hasn't cured the cancer, but we love Him so much. It really doesn't matter. I want to hear that. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear somebody call in and say that. You know, you'll hear people call in and say, hey, since I found the Lord, I've had an uptick in my finances. Praise the Lord. You know, praise God. He's a gracious God, a good God, right? They've had an uptick in their finances. Things are, are starting to go better in the family. Praise the Lord for this. I'm, I'm thankful. But you know, I want to hear someone call in and say, you know what, I'm as poor as you can possibly be in this world, but God is enough for now, that's positive and encouraging to me. <laughs> okay, I, I couldn't be any more poorer in the things of the world, but God's enough. God is enough. God is my supply. God is my reward. I want to hear that call. That's the call that I want to hear. I've heard this call. Since uh, a couple has started going to church, you know, there's been... There's been a miraculous healing in the marriage and the the marriage has been resurrected and praise God, right? He heals broken marriages. He's done this. I've seen it many times. He'll resurrect a dead marriage. But what I would like to hear otherwise would be like, maybe someone would call in and say, hey, you know what? I got converted and I've fallen in love with Christ and my spouse hates it that I love Christ My spouse has left. But you know what? It's really hard. It's really sad. It's really difficult. But Jesus is my reward. Jesus is enough. I want to hear that call. That's the call I would like to hear. You know, I think if I had a radio station, it wouldn't be positive and encouraging. It would be magnify Christ at every turn. That would be my byline. Magnify Christ at every turn. You know what, beloved? (laughs) To the degree that you magnify Christ, 
That's the degree to which your life counts. As John Piper, famous theologian in the States, says, if you're not magnifying Christ, you're wasting your life. You're wasting the most precious thing that God has given to you. Your time on the earth. So, my concern with all the testimonies, as I said, is that they're simply positive and encouraging in a temporal sense. I want to hear the ones that are positive and encouraging in an eternal sense. If you just listen to Caleb, okay? And I'll get into the text in a minute. If you want to, go ahead and turn to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. The young adults have just finished studying the book of Jude. It's the book, next to the last book in the Bible. Right before Revelation. <clears throat> so you can go ahead and turn there. If I just listened to Caleb, I would think, well, God's a fix-it guy. You know, Christianity is a, is a, it's a formula. Christianity is a formula to get God to do good things in your life. That's really what it is. It's a formula to get God on your side. He'll be a genie in a bottle for you. He'll be Santa Claus for you, right? That's really kind of, I guess, the sum and substance of what Jesus is all about. To make my life better in a temporal sense. I'm not saying that God doesn't make our life better in a temporal sense. But that's not the important thing God does. God changes our eternity, right? That's what really matters at the end of the day. We talked about it last week. Most people who profess to be Christians, they think they're, you know, they're making a much of the little dot. They're living in the little dot, right? You've seen the illustration? The little dot. This is time, the little dot. But eternity is this line that never ends. And most people are living for the little dot. You know, I told you I had a friend, I've got a missionary friend in Germany. Uh, his, his email address is living in the dot. Man, you've got to learn to live in the dot. I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. You, you have to learn this. You have to learn to live in the dot. Because forever is a long time. God means for you to live now in Christ to magnify Christ. So, um, yeah. Those are the kind of calls that I would like to hear. So, real life Christianity is not so much, let me say it this way, those hard calls, those hard times, when God shows up in the trial, when God shows up in the difficulty, Christianity is much more powerful and beautiful in those moments than when it's simply going all perfectly in your life. Some of you haven't lived long enough to experience tragedy. And God show up. This is the biggest blessing. In a temporal sense, God shows up. Not just when everything's going well. And of course, every blessing you have, every blessing you have is a, is a gift from God. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything. You deserve hell, just like me. That's what you deserve right now. That's what you deserved yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before you deserved it. But God just keeps showering good things down upon you. Grace and mercy even in the hard spot. 
So yeah, I would love to hear someone call in and say, you know what? The Bible has taught me that I am a wretched sinner. And I'm saved by the grace of God alone. Now that's positive and encouraging to me. You know, so money in the bank, health, you know, a good marriage, all these things are, these are blessings from God. But the greatest blessing from God in a Christian context is, I'm saved. I was dead in my sins, but now I know God. I was eternally lost, now I'm eternally found. I should be on my way to hell, but I'll never go there because Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And yeah, you guys know, those of you who are born again, you know. When it's real, it changes everything. <laughs> okay? No pseudo-Christianity. You know, no more playing religion. When it's real, it changes everything. You know, I'd like to hear that call, which would have been me, when I was 28 years old, you know, if, if Caleb had been in business then, I would call and say, you know what? I've been a Baptist all my life, but I've never known God until just recently. I realize God has just saved me. And yeah, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me, and my whole life is changing before my eyes. Now, I would love to hear that call too. I was religious for 28 years, but I didn't know God. Now I do. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. So, you say, Jim, what's that got to do with Jude? Well, I want you to look at the last two verses of Jude. It's only one chapter, so that there's no chapter designations. It's just verse 24 and verse 25. You know, I want to hear the call where the guy says, I don't see any relief in sight, but I love Jude 24 and 25. That's the call I want to hear. I want to hear that call. Maybe I'll hear that call when I go home to the States this time. Maybe I will hear the call. Let me read it to you. Jude, verse 24 and 25. And the, the young adult study we just did, it like, yeah, I got stuck on this verse and I couldn't get off of it. Jude writes, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. Now, okay, that's what I would want to call in and say. Hey, He keeps me from stumbling. He makes me stand in the presence of an awesome God. in the presence of His glory, and I'm blameless with great joy. Now, what does Revelation teach us? What does Revelation teach us about when, when the angry Lamb returns in judgment? What will men, great men, and all men do? What will they do? Remember the Revelation, I think it's chapter 6. They cry out for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them so they will not have to face the wrath of the Lamb. Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't face the wrath of the Lamb. You won't be wishing for suicide. You won't be wishing for a mountain to fall on you. You're going to stand blameless in the presence of His glory with great joy. This is what people should be calling into Caleb and saying. Okay? Don't misunderstand me. The temporal blessings of God, praise the Lord. 
But what I'm talking about here are the eternal blessings of God, right? The ones that really matter forever, right? Whether you had money in the bank is not going to matter on the far side of eternity, okay? Whether you died of cancer or old age is not going to matter on the far side of eternity. Whether your marriage worked or didn't work, whether your spouse abandoned you or not, is not going to matter on the far side of eternity. What matters is Jude 24 and 25. Let me finish. Verse 25. To the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Beloved, this is the greatest blessing. This is the greatest blessing. Yeah, I want to hear somebody call in and say that that's really positive and really encouraging for anyone who knows who they are before the living God. You know, I'm, I'm writing this book and, and um, you know, I, I can't get over Isaiah. He was probably the holiest man in Israel. What did he say when he saw God? Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, he's a holy man. He's holy in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, He knows He's unclean. You need a Savior, beloved. You need a Savior. You don't need church. Obviously, if you're saved, you'll be in one. But you don't need church. You need a Savior. That's what you need. That's what I need. I need a Savior. God has provided one. Now, that's positive and encouraging to me. <laughs> I want to hear that guy call in. I do. I want to hear the guy call in and talk about that. So the book of Jude, we just studied it with the young adults. It's a powerful little letter. Uh, Jude, <clears throat> you may remember, is the half-brother of Jesus. <clears throat> um, and he closes this book out in such a powerful way. The last two Verses. So I'm just going to really quickly, I'm going to hit the whole book in five minutes, okay? So you follow along with me if you would. We're just going to hit a few verses. I'm going to summarize the whole book of Jude in five minutes. Verse 1, God's people are what? I love this. I told Karen today, I love this. We are the called, we are the beloved, and we are the what? Tell me from the text. We are the what? Kept. We are kept. Now, I'm going to call Caleb... Check me on this, Karen. I'm going to call Caleb when we get over there, and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm kept. You want some good news? I'm kept by God. I'm kept by God. That's positive. That's encouraging. I love that. I'm kept by God. Verse 3, what has God called you to do? You call yourself a Christian. What has God called you to do? To contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. That's your job. You know, you don't just wake up in the morning and find that you're, you know, wholly sold out to God and, um, you know, completely and utterly faithful in every respect. You've got to fight for it 
if you're going to be a real Christian, it has to be, we say it all the time, you have to, it has to be proactive. You have to be at work, man. You have to lay your hands on it. You have to want it. You know, it's like the Olympic runner. How does he end up on the gold medal stand? It's not just by a happenstance. He wanted it. What does Paul say to do? Run to win. I'll just hazard a guess. Some of you are not running to win. Okay? You're just kind of coasting. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm in. Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. What a great text. Verses 5-7. through God judges all who reject His Word and those who rebel against His authority. He judged the rebellious Exodus Jews. He judged the fallen angels. And He judged the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. All the rebels, all those who rebel against God will undergo the punishment of eternal fire. It's right there in the text. You're not going to hear that verse on Caleb. I'm pretty sure. How about verses 8-13? through 13? God talks about the pseudo-clergy in the visible Christian church. Jude says these guys are, are the ones that have crept into the church unnoticed, but rest assured, God has noticed. The apostate pastors, priests, ministers, popes, patriarchs, Bible school teachers, seminary professors, TV evangelists, faith healers, etc., etc., etc. God calls them dreamers, twisting God's words. They rail at demons. They make up their own theology. They're greedy men who take millions to hell with them. You guys, if you're, in, if you're familiar at all with the contemporary Christian landscape, you understand what Jude is talking about. There are more apostate teachers and preachers and churches out there than there are biblical ones. And so, what's the takeaway for us from the book of Jude? Don't be naive. You test every spirit by the message. You know, John says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. Test the teacher to see if he's of God, to see if he's on the Word of God, to see if he'll preach the Bible. Or if he's preaching his own agenda. You know, I had a guy left here one time. I won't, some of you would still know him. He says, Jim, thank you and Karen for teaching the Bible with no agenda. Because you know what? You know what? I was thinking about it this week. We don't ask anything from you guys. Hey, if you don't want to come, don't come. If you don't want to give, don't give. We don't ask one thing from you guys. All we do is give out what we know. That's all we do, right? That's all. We don't, we don't want anything. We don't want anything of yours. I'm not selling the gospel, right? I'm just proclaiming the gospel. You guys are smart. You know when somebody's selling you something. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just proclaiming the truth. It's up to you whether to receive it or not. Verse 14 to 23. God tells us how to navigate this avalanche of false teachers and the pro proliferation of pseudo-churches in the last days. The Word of God has warned us about it. We are not supposed to be surprised at all the false teaching, all the pseudo-churches, all the pseudo-denominations. We're supposed to be building up our faith, praying in the Spirit, walking in confidence, and eagerly watching for His return, and in doing this, we are to give a witness. What a powerful, powerful little book the book of Jude is. He reminds the true believer 
of our ultimate hope in navigating and surviving the onslaught of apostasy in, our la- in these last days. And that is to enter into the presence of God and practice the presence of God. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not practicing the presence of God. What does that mean? That means you walk before God. Uh, we talked a lot about it last week uh, out of the Psalm 103. David said, David said something about, I bless the Lord, right? What's he talking about? I thought the Lord was supposed to bless us. What's he talking about? I bless the Lord. What's he talking about? The meaning, the deep meaning there in the Hebrew word is, is I bow before God. All of my life is a kneeling. All of my life, we talked about it last week, all of my life is a kneeling. I kneel in my marriage. I kneel at the university. I kneel on the internet. I'm kneeling in the church. I'm using my gifts. All of my life is a kneeling before God. All of my life, not just some little part I've carved out. It, you know, it's comfortable, you know, to do it sometimes. No, all of my life, David says, all of my life is a kneeling before God. Beloved, this is real Christianity, right? This is real Christianity. So what is, what is your assurance of salvation? If you've been in this church, you know how to answer that question if you've been here very long. So if I ask you, what's your assurance? Would you say, oh, I prayed the prayer. Oh, I was baptized. Oh, I did a sacrament. Oh, I joined the church. Oh, uh, I, I attend the church regularly. Oh, I give a little bit of money. Oh, what's your assurance of salvation? None of that, right? What's your assurance? It's right here in verse 24. What's your assurance? You know your assurance. (laughs) It's Christ, right? To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. That's your assurance. God is your assurance. God could care less what your church affiliation is. Unless, of course, it's an apostate church and you should leave immediately. God's not impressed with this. God wants you to know this. God wants you to know verse 24 of Jude. He's holding you. He's keeping you. Your religion doesn't impress God at all. In fact, He hates it. If, you know, if you're just practicing religion, God does not care for this. People often ask me, and I just as a as a parenthetical comment, you know, <clears throat> if you know your Bibles, Hebrews chapter six, verses one through ten, seems to indicate that someone can lose their salvation. Well, of course, this is false. The Bible always interprets the Bible. To interpret Hebrews six as saying you can lose your salvation, you have to turn uh, a multitude of other passages in the Bible on their heads. We just got through with the Gospel of John. Why do we know we're not going to lose our salvation? If, in fact, we have it, that's the question. You know, you you know people who've made a profession of faith and then leave the church. It's not that they've lost anything. It's that they never found it. Okay? They never had truly found it. They had some kind of emotional experience or great need at some moment in their life, and they thought, hey, maybe God, you know, could do the Caleb thing in my life. I see this all the time. Maybe God will do the genie in the bottle thing for me. 
They never knew God. But we just got through with the Gospel of John. Why are we assured once we belong to Him that we will never fall away, that we, that we will never be lost? What's our assurance? Anybody remember? You've got to remember this, man. You've you, you got to remember this. What did Jesus say like? Well, let me go back. I think Jesus says it almost every time. Jesus says what? My people are what? They're a gift. From whom? The Father. You think the Son is ever going to lose a gift from the Father? And then He says it outright. He says, all that the Father has given to me, I will not lose one. So do you understand? That those who teach you can lose your salvation, they're false teachers, they're apostates, they're heretics. They, they, <clears throat> let me say it as gently as I can. They're ignorant of the Bible. Okay, They're just simply ignorant of the Bible. There are a host of passages I could take you to that, that reveal that you cannot lose the salvation that God has given to you. I just want to you know, make that point because I think it's very, very important. So, let me just say this. Hebrews 6, if you struggle with Hebrews 6, on my podcast site, on the church podcast site, um, there's a sermon. You can just go out there and, and search for Hebrews 6. It'll come up. You can go out and listen to the sermon. It might be helpful if you struggle with that. So the biblically literate Christian understands we will not stumble, we will not fall short, not because we're good churchgoers, but because Jesus Christ is who He is and Jesus Christ has done what He has done. Now, obviously, Christianity is unique in the world. Uh, All the other major world religions, it's a works thing, right? I do X, I get Y. It's always this way. You can boil every other religion down to I do X, I get Y. It's not how it is in Christianity, right? God saves His people. Period. It's not about your performance. It's about the grace of God. And here's what I've discovered as an old man in the ministry. People who think about their Christianity, you know, they they have these little teeny thoughts about their Christianity. You know why? Because they think they did it. You know, you hear some testimonies and it's kind of like, well, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And nobody, you know, very few people actually end up in saying, you know, well, here's the deal. God saved me. God saved me, right? I was blind, but now I see. Now, how does a blind man see? How does a blind man make himself see? A blind man can't make himself see. Only God can do this. A dead man can't make himself alive. Only God can make a dead man alive. I'm just using biblical metaphors. It's the work of God, beloved. We need to have some humility about it. And if we really understand it, right, we won't think about our Christianity like that. We'll be in awe. We'll be in awe. We'll be living the awe. You can't help but live the awe when you realize God has saved me. You have to live the awe if you actually believe it. So Christianity is radically different. And yes, of course, you know, I, I don't have to tell you this. Those, you've, been in, you've been around the church. 
you have to exercise the faith, the repentance and faith that God has given. If you read your Bible, you realize God has given the repentance, God has given the faith. <laughs> it's a clear teaching of the Bible. But you have to exercise it. You must exercise it. You must come to Christ. You must place your faith in Christ. You must repent of your sin. Salvation is of God, and yes, as, as, a, as a human being, you must respond, but salvation is of God. The Father elects, the Son atones, the Spirit regenerates. And of course, yes, we must respond. We must respond. I'm going to share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 30. Just listen. Listen to what Paul says. Consider your calling, brethren. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak, that's you, the base, and the despised. <laughs> okay, that's you, that's me. That's who God has chosen. Why? God has chosen the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. Now listen to this. So that no man may boast before God. You have no boast. You weren't smart enough to figure it out. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and God made you alive. Ephesians chapter 2. God made you alive. It was a miracle. Lest you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. How do you born yourself again? You can't do it. <laughs> This is all verse 24, man. This is all verse 24. Paul continues, No man may boast before God, but by His doing you are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts do what? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hey man, if you got your chest out, because you're a good Baptist or a good Presbyterian or a good whatever. <laughs> That's a huge mistake. If, are you boasting in, in your denominationalism? It's a huge mistake. You're boasting in your church attendance? You're boasting in your, your giving to the Lord? Are you boasting in your Bible study? We have no boast but Jesus, beloved. We have no boast but Jesus. So let's do the exegetical math here on 1 Corinthians 1. If being saved is up to you, what? You have something to boast about. If staying saved is up to you, yeah, you have something to boast about. Here's the deal. You don't have anything to boast about. <laughs> the unique virtue and characteristic attribute of <clears throat> the Christian is I have nothing to boast about. You know, sometimes you get the sense that people think you're a preacher because you're earning something. I'm not earning anything up here. I'm not doing a good work. I'm proclaiming the one I love. That's all a real preacher does. He proclaims the one who has saved him. That's all a good preacher does. I'm not earning anything up here. Let me say it this way. We know that God has promised reward. 
And we know there will be reward. And I don't discount anything that the Bible says. But you know what, those of you who are born again, you know what I'm talking about. You know, Jesus is enough. There doesn't need to be reward. The fundamental foundational reward for the believer is God Himself. It's Jesus Christ. For by His doing, you are in Christ. There is no boasting except in Christ. So back to Jude 24. Jesus keeps us from stumbling in the struggle of sanctification. We've talked about this many times. We're all, we're all sinners and we're all struggling in the sanctification fight, Romans chapter 7. But, but Jesus is keeping us. The true believer's hope is always and only Jesus Christ, not in our good works, not in our morality, not in our church attendance. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, many denominations, well, maybe not many, but a lot, Let's just say some. Talk about Christian conversion in such a non-biblical way, a real, a silly way. It's like you can lose your salvation like you lose your keys. It's just false, beloved. It's just false. Read your Bible. Know your, know your Bible. Know what God has done in your behalf. Understand the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We will persevere to the end. Why? Because God is holding us. We will persevere. You know, Jesus keeps saying in the Revelation, He just keeps saying, those who have persevered, those who have overcome, those who have persevered, those who have overcome. You know who overcomes and perseveres? The ones who are a gift from the Father to the Son. (laughs) They will overcome and they will persevere. When you understand salvation... Is God's work, as the Bible clearly teaches. You realize it's not only doctrinally incorrect to say a Christian can lose their salvation, it really is backhanded blasphemy. You're actually calling Jesus a liar. You're actually saying Jesus can't do what He said He can do. Which is, I'll never lose the sheep that God has given to me. Again, go read the Gospel of John Ten times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the true, gift, the, the true believer is a gift from the Father to the Son. Five times Jesus says, I'll never lose one of them. Let me just share John 10 with you, verses 26 to 30. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, listen to this. I want you to listen closely to this. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, people don't like it when God speaks like this. It's not that you are not my sheep because you don't believe. That's not what he says. He says, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Now, this causes many denominations to run in fear. Right? It means they can't manage, they can't manage salvation. They can't manage conversion. You know, I'm always happy to say at ICM, I don't try to manage conversion. I can't do it. It's, you know, above my pay grade. Only God can do this. Jesus says, you don't believe because you're not mine. If you were mine, you would believe. Then he goes on, my sheep, here's how you know you're a sheep. First John, <laughs> okay? 
This is all from the Gospel of John, but First John, go read First John if you need to. Jesus says, My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I'm going to call Caleb next month, and I'm going to say this. I know I won't get played, but I'm going to say this. Enough temporal blessing. You know, this is the problem with the modern church. Everybody just wants the blessing. This is blasphemous. In one sense. It's blasphemous if you want the blessing more than you want God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want the blessing more than you want God, you're chasing a phantom. You're chasing a pseudo-God. You're chasing the pseudo-Christ. If you've really seen the real Christ, if you've really seen the living God, the resurrected God, you will far prefer Him over any blessing. There'll be no contest. Most of you know what I'm saying is true. And you guys know Romans 8. Romans 8, 29 and 30. I'll just read it to you. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom He predestined, He's called. Those whom He's called, He's justified. And those He's justified, He has glorified. What's the key element there in, that, in those verses? This is all past tense. This is a done deal in the mind of God. It's a done deal. He saves His people. It's what verse 24 is all about. He will keep you. He will keep you. And He will make you stand in the presence of the awesome God that every other man will fall on his face as fast as he can, begging the mountains to fall on him. But you'll stand before him, blameless, with great joy. No other peoples can do that. Only Christians will do that. We look forward to the coming of the King with great anticipation. It'll be the best day of our life. All unbelievers will be crying out for the mountains to fall on them because they will not want to stand before the angry Lamb. And you guys know how Paul finishes Romans 8 there. Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of Christ. So Jude is ending his letter in the most positive and encouraging testimony a real Christian can ever give. I am saved by God because I am saved by God. I will not stumble. I will not fall away. I will stand blameless before God with great joy. I got to call Caleb, man. One of my favorite preachers in the States, John MacArthur. Some of you probably know the name. Um, he's a giant in the modern evangelical church. One of the very best, if not the best preachers in the world, in my opinion. And I've shared this with the uh, young adults. 
He says, you know what? He says, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose it ten times before the sun goes down. If it were up to you. Listen to what this great man of God says. He says, I am so prone to sin, prone to pride, prone to unbelief, prone to doubt, prone to rebellion, prone to vanity, prone to self-righteousness, prone to the love of comforts of this world too much. He says, the Romans 7 battle is raging within my members. If I could lose it, I would, but I won't because Jesus is keeping me. So verses 24 and 25 of Jude, this is a doxology. You guys know what that means. It's just an expression of praise. And doxology always follows what? Always follows biblical theology. So we have this beautiful doxology here finishing up the book. Jude is thinking rightly about God. He's thinking rightly about himself. He's thinking rightly about salvation. Jude is marveling at the fact that he will not stumble, that he will stand in the presence of God, blameless with joy. Jude is astonished. And if you're not astonished, you've not understood the Christian message. If you're not astonished, beloved, if you're not astonished, you've not understood it. Now, if Jude called in to Caleb, that's what he would say. If Jude called in to this radio station, that's what he would say. Yeah, the the temporal blessings are a blessing. But let me tell you the real good news. (laughs) Let me tell you the real good news. Listen, I know you you guys have hard stuff in your life. I do, I know. I know you do. Just go to Jude 24 and 25. And just remember who you are in Christ. You know how Paul said, I, I think if Paul called into Caleb, <laughs> he might say this. The words he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.18. Paul might say, The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think maybe that's what the Apostle Paul might call in and say to the radio station. To contemplate how God has saved us and how He holds us. To contemplate that we are called, that we are beloved, and that we are the kept. This elicits doxology. It's what we see there in verse 25. Listen to how he praises God. I already read it to you. I'll just read it briefly again. To the only God and to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What? Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. So he's contemplating this biblical theology, verse 24, and he breaks out into doxology. How can you not praise God like... I mean, a God who does this, who takes a man of unclean lips, right? Who takes a man who's undone before the thrice holy God. He takes a man like me. He takes a man of religious pride and arrogance, and vanity. He takes a man like me and he enables me to stand in the presence of holy God blameless with great joy. Yeah. This calls for doxology. (laughs) This calls for worship. 
And just a quick reminder, just to remind you of God's dominion, because we've been talking about God's sovereignty the last four weeks. God's sovereignty in the lives of His people. Let me just give you a couple of verses and we'll move on. We'll, we'll be finished. Daniel 4.35 God does according to His will in heaven and earth. No one can stop God. 1 Timothy 6.15 and 16 he is, the holy, he is the only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, who, who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. God rules eternally. God reigns forever, Right? I know you have big problems. Guess who reigns over them? Tell me. Anybody. Tell me who reigns over your big problem. Who reigns over it? God. God reigns over the big problem. God not only reigns over the big problem, God's in the big problem. God is working for your good in the big problem. God is going to sanctify you through the big problem. God's going to, you know, what's the word? Burn off the dross in the big problem. You got a big problem? You're a Christian? Praise God. God's here. God is here. The reigning God. The sovereign God. The God who has dominion. Verse 25. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, what? Oh, He does it. <laughs> okay? Your God does whatever He pleases. It pleases Him to keep you. It pleases Him that you'll stand blameless before Him. It pleases Him. It pleases Him that every problem you have, He reigns over it. He's in charge. Listen, I know fear wells up in us. Even me as a mature Christian, I'm embarrassed to say it. Fear will well up in me, but I know how to, I know how to beat it. I preach it down. I saw, I saw a little quip on the internet the other day. It was talking about, if you're afraid, you're looking at circumstance. You're not looking at God. God means for you to look at Him and not be afraid. You call yourself a Christian? Maybe you're just religious. I don't know. It doesn't really matter if you're just religious. It doesn't really matter. What I'm talking about are Christians, okay? That's what I'm talking about. We don't have to be afraid. If you're religious, you need to be afraid. You need to be very, very, very afraid. God is no respecter of religion. Religion is Satan's best con. He takes billions to hell. You guys know what Isaiah says. Who can turn back the outstretched arm of God? Nobody. Yes, it is this sovereign God who has called us, the invincible God who has loved us, the almighty God who has saved us, the indomitable God who has sanctified us, and the omnipotent God who is keeping us. What does Paul say? Philippians 1, 6. For He who began a good work in us, what? Does anybody know? You're supposed to know this. What? He he will finish it. You got to know this verse, man. He started the work in you. He'll finish the work in you. What a great promise. So biblical theology always gives rise to doxology. So here's the deal. If I were ever going to call into Caleb and give a testimony, this would be it. And I'll close with this. Verse 24 of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of His glory blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now 
and forever. Amen. Beloved, this is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this encouraging word. Thank you for this little book. We know how to handle this wholesale apostasy that has occurred in what is called Christianity. Father, you have told us to expect it. You have told us to not be naive. You have given us your word. You have given us your spirit. We simply need to hold to the word by the teaching of the Spirit. But Lord, thank You for these last two verses. This is very positive and encouraging. I'm not going to stay saved because of anything I do. I'm going to stay saved because You saved me. You saved me. You gave me the gift of repentance and You gave me the gift of faith. I am the called I am the beloved. I am the kept. I will stand blameless with great joy on that last day. I will not be calling the mountains down upon me to hide me from the angry lamb because I will not meet an angry lamb. I will meet my beautiful and wonderful Savior. So Lord, we worship You We thank You for this text. We thank You that You exercise dominion. (laughs) We thank You that You are the invincible, majestic, reigning God. We thank You that every problem we think we have is under Your complete control and power. Lord, I pray that we would learn to live like this. I pray that we would be in awe and then put down our fear. I ask for Your help, Father. Help me in this. Help me be bold. Help me be more of a son. Lord, we love you and we praise you. What a great and wonderful word we have. Thank you for this salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and I will read a benediction for us.